Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Macro Compass. I must say thank you very much. After merely just floating around the idea of launching a macro fund, I'm humbled by the amount of interest that I have received. So today I want to share some more information with you. First, early investors and anchor seeders would receive a very preferential treatment, but this is valid only up to a certain amount raised. And the larger your initial allocation or seed, the better the conditions. Also, the regulatory framework I would be using only allows a minimum allocation of $250,000. In case you'd want to get in before the early preferential window closes, send an email to fund at themacrocompass.com and I will share with you a memo with more info. Back to the article. Next week is huge. Revisions to last year's CPI, US labor market print, the Fed, and most importantly, the quarterly refunding announcement everyone talks about. So I thought I'd share an initial framework for you to understand why everybody seems to care about the details of US bond supply announced in the QRA next week. And the key is to think of bond supply within the context of US monetary plumbing. Have a look at the first chart in the article. The first thing to understand is the tectonic shift happening at the policy-making level when it comes to the use of fiscal deficits. The chart in the article shows how, until 2016, US politicians applied fiscal policy in a counter-cyclical fashion. What does this mean? When unemployment rate in blue in the chart was low, like in 2006 and 2007, they proceeded with a conservative fiscal stance, that's the orange line, and they reduced deficits. Instead, when a big crisis hit, like in 2008, and the unemployment rate moved higher, they tried to support the economy with more fiscal deficits. This is a textbook counter-cyclical application of fiscal policy. You support the economy by injecting fresh money when it needs, and you withdraw support when it's running hot by itself. But in 2016, something changed. Trump became the new U.S. president, and despite unemployment rates dipping below 5%, the U.S. budget deficit started expanding anyway. A bit like crocodile jaws opening, for the first time in decades, fiscal stimulus was not used to support a weak economy, but instead it was used on top of an economy which was already strengthening. As a result, in 2017 and 2018, the U.S. economy was quite hot. So the Fed raised interest rates, the stock market puked in late 2018, and in 2019, Powell had to pivot. Now, as Biden got into office, he recently showed, by the way, that he learned the same trick. In the 2023 fiscal year, Biden rapidly expanded fiscal deficits despite a tight job market, and therefore the crocodile jaws were opened again. And the result is a prolonged cycle for the US economy with inflation, which perhaps took a little bit longer than expected to start slowing down. Now, as Trump is gaining ground in his race to become the next US president, I wonder whether he's going to continue with this new crocodile jaw paradigm. And my hunch is that he will. US politicians are becoming familiar with the power of fiscal stimulus, but not with the dangers of its excessive use. And if you consider, that by 2028, the majority of voters is not going to be the boomers anymore, but instead millennials and Gen Z looking for a change in wealth distribution, 
I think we can expect a robust use of fiscal stimulus in a semi-permanent way and in a bipartisan way as well. Now back to 2024, the Fed is doing QT while Yellen marches ahead with deficits. So you need to understand the monetary plumbing mechanics of this exercise. And this is why I decided to visualize them in an easy way for you in the second chart in the article. So please follow the number and the steps with me. Step one and two, the US government proceeds with fiscal deficits. So households or corporates get an injection of new money and potential inflationary bank deposits go up together with the reserves in the system. Step three and four, simultaneously, bond issuance takes place. So Yellen issues bonds and banks, or I should say primary dealers, use reserves to buy bonds at auctions. Step five, six, and seven, the Fed runs down its balance sheet through quantitative tightening, and that works like a net drain of reserves from the financial system. An excessive reduction in bank reserves can become problematic for the smooth functioning of the repo market. Banks use reserves to settle repo transactions with each other, and if there is too much collateral floating around, too many bonds floating around, and too little reserves, the repo market goes into an imbalance and it can suffer like in 2019. But there is a way around this problem. Yellen deciding to issue T-bills rather than long bonds. And this is one of the reasons why everyone is watching the QRA next week, because it will tell us something about the composition of this issuance. And to understand what the differences are, have a look at the third chart in the article. In this case, so the bottom part of the T accounts in the article, quantitative tightening does not drain bank reserves, but it's instead a sterilized version of QT. And the bottom set of the T accounts in the article explains why. When the government issues T-bills and money market funds buy them by draining their existing balances at the reserve repo facility, bank reserves do not need to take the hit for quantitative tightening, but it's a drop in the reserve repo facility that facilitates the process. So effectively, you can think of the government continuing with their deficits but through the issuance of T-bills, having money market funds basically sterilize quantitative tightening. So this is one of the reasons why everybody's looking at the QRA next week to understand what will be the composition of issuance and therefore the role it plays on the monetary plumbing. But the other incredibly important dynamic is that issuing T-bills or issuing long bonds has a very different impact on market participants. In short, T-bills have very little interest rate risk, while long bonds are much heavier to absorb for the private sector because of their big duration risk. I will be talking about the QRA in details next week, also regarding the duration impact and analyze its direct consequences on the bond and equity markets. So stay tuned for that. And as a reminder, if you're interested to hear more about the potential macro fund I would be launching, please send an email to fund at themacrocompass.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this piece, please smash the like button and share it with friends and colleagues. It's free after all, and I would really appreciate your support.